Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the 9320 Friday Show, the show that said that Manchester United have made an audacious swoop for Moonchester, subject to gardening leave, of course. Expect them to change the a blue kit pretty soon. As always, we have a bumper show, looking back at a successful week, talking to Chelsea fan Dan, and previewing a big match on Saturday evening. More chaotic football, we will see. To do so, delighted to be joined by two non-bitter blues with a lot to say. In reverse age order, it's Ali and George. Uh, good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I can accept the not bitter blue. Flag. I, I can get pretty bitter when the time comes, but, but not this week. I've had, I've had a very uh, rom- appropriately romantic week and enjoying everything, but particularly the football. And Were you romantic then on Wednesday? <laughs> uh, Claire, we did actually go out for a meal we went to a, a local pub and i managed to resist peering over my shoulder at the telly that was showing Bayern munich against Lazio. <laughs> <laughs> i wait i waited until claire popped to the loo before actually craning my right neck around to see what the score was and find out meccano had been sent off again <laughs> now fair do see you for four putting two fairly nondescript ties on that evening. So you weren't missing, yeah. missing out on too much, to be honest, though. Though the eight ties themselves are not that exciting, I don't think. But yeah, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, no, I did actually write in originally, bitter blues, but I thought, <laughs> I thought I'll put the non in. So yeah, you might not get the joke, or, or maybe it was being serious, who knows. Uh, George, good morning. Good morning, Howard. How are we getting on? Yeah, not bad. Is this the... Just to have another dig at Ali, is this the biggest age disparity we've ever had on guests on the Friday show? Thanks, mate. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I could have used George and myself, Ali, so we're in we're in this together. So anyway, how are you doing, George? You all right? I'm all right, yeah, I'm all right. Um a nice week of the footy for us. Um it's made the rain and all that kind of stuff uh, all the better. And uh yeah, I'm off on holiday next week, so looking forward to um to the match on Saturday because I'm g- I'm going to miss a few city games, which is a a rarity for me and I might not even be uh, awake for a couple of them. So um yeah, it's going I'm going to really enjoy Saturday. So where are you off to, sir? Uh, going to so, India. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so, first time, first time going yeah. over that way. So it's um, yeah, very excited for it. Um, but yes, I think some of the some of the night games um, that we've got coming up, it's going to be like three, four in the morning. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see <laughs> how fair I might. They'll still I'm, be up. Yeah, I'm sure I will be. be my body will just wake up regardless. It'll just have that instinct to know that city are on to uh, to flick it on. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's going to be strange. Um, not going to a few matches, but uh, yeah, very much looking forward to getting into the sun and all that stuff. Well, the old fogies like me and Ali can tell you the power, oh yeah, the power of power naps basically, sir, to get you through <laughs> <laughs> a day. So uh, brilliant, right? Let's talk football, shall we? Uh, got a huge amount to get through as always. So Ali, I'm going to start with you. Two more wins this week. Uh, that's eleven on the bounce. And I asked this on you know some of our player stuff this week. All all started with a comment as I sat down for the Everton match. Uh, mate Tim, who sits in front of me, wasn't happy with the Everton lineup <laughs> uh, just as we we're about to kick off, saying this is the more important game compared to Copenhagen. Uh, I we know that Pep was always going to choose teams for these two games. What seventy two hours apart ish, seventy five hours maybe. He was going to pick the Everton. <laughs> side with Copenhagen in mind which is fair enough but as you went into this week 
which did you consider the most important of the two games or were you not thinking that way? Uh, I was considering them both, I think, pretty much equally mm. important, if only because I understand the argument that the Premier League is the more intense, the more demanding competition, and actually, of the two individual uh, 90 minutes, it probably mattered a bit more to get the win on Saturday against Everton than it did mm. on Tuesday against Copenhagen. But I was hugely conscious of the return leg against Copenhagen uh, in three weeks, I think, isn't it? Uh, which yeah. is flat bang between the Derby and the Liverpool game. And if you think the Everton match was intense, wait until those two. Uh, so being able to come back from Copenhagen with a couple of goal leads uh, and look forward to, to the return leg with very little pressure, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to you know, take Kevin off at half-time or whatever, if we need to rest a couple of players for the return match, all of those kind of things uh, was every bit as important to me as what actually happened with the result of the game on, on Tuesday night. Uh, so it, it's really hard to, to unpick them. And I think we're, we're now actually into the, the uh, final third or so of the season when Pep will be rotating constantly. So I think every might we'll talk about you yeah. know, lineups for the weekend and games to come. Um, I expect to see one or two or three players dropping out of every single match and other players coming in and, uh, because we have to do that to, you know, to keep the whole squad yeah. fit and, and firing till the end of the season. Have to, but it will cause anxiety with many of the fan base, no doubt. As Whatever we do, it will cause anxiety. Yeah, every team sheet causes anxiety. Yeah, exactly. It always has done anyway, so uh, it's no pleasing some people, I guess, because they've got their own team in their mind. Uh, I guess another way of uh, phrasing the same question, George, is which of these two games were you more anxious about as the match approached? Because I was super relaxed about Copenhagen uh, and I was pretty damn anxious about Everton. I guess because we, <clears throat> obviously on the year's eve of the year we dropped points to them, but there is, of course, it's uh, Copenhagen's the first of two legs, so it wasn't an all or nothing you know, match, was it? But it does feel there's not, we're getting to that stage of the season now, there's no give in the league. It's, <laughs> it's like we're going to just have to keep winning. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I share your feelings on that one, Howard. Um, I think as well, the Everton match being a half 12 plays into the nerves and the anxiety yeah. because you're opening kind of the weekend in the Premier League. Um, the atmosphere is notoriously not as good at the half 12s. It's harder to, you know, the stadium's not quite the same feeling as if it was a three o'clock oh, or a half five exactly yeah sober people just coming off the back of the night shifts all that kind of stuff or late shifts and um and i think if you lose that match then you just can't enjoy any of the rest of the weekend's football really because you're just looking at other people's results and just praying for other people to drop points and that's never a nice position to be in and i think going over what you guys said on some of the pods this week about how last season's champions league we drew every single away um, knockout mm -hmm. game I kind of going into the Copenhagen one it was a, a draw honestly I would have been fine with it wouldn't have been ideal as Ali says because the home leg is slap bang in the middle between uh, away at Anfield and uh, United coming to the Etihad and would have made it a bit trickier rotating the squad but it was like Leipzig when everybody was up in arms and we drew away there and panicking we, we came at home we just got the job done with these and I think the Etihad and the Champions League nights is I know it's a bit of a cliche in football you know I say 
insert your home stadium and under the lights and good atmosphere. <laughs> but it's um, mm. it's beginning to be true, regardless of whether it's a cliche or not. So I'm very confident going into these home ties of the Champions League. So yeah, at the Everton match, I was I was filled with a lot more anxiety, with especially due to the nature of how I expected them to play. Yeah, and they did disappoint in that respect. Not at I all. remember. Yeah, I remember Pep after the Leipzig game because we were we were basically as dominant in the first half against Leipzig because I think we were against Copenhagen. You know, in this week, but yeah. then the second half completely turned on its head, and they, you know. I'll say battered us is a bit of hype over the top but yeah it was a complete second half and people remembered that bit that half more in a way but Pep was so calm after his game yeah because he was he'll take a draw in the knockouts away leg of a knockouts stage but you know I think Copenhagen was a bit different because I'd yeah. say Leipzig are better than Copenhagen and of course the other draws were in uh, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich so not quite the same level is it so uh, Ali I'd like to go through that first half against Everton in uh, forensic detail, if that's all right. <laughs> no, yeah. no, we will not. We will never think about that first half against never Everton Never mention again. it again. In fact, we're not going to mention the game much at all, but just one question really that you know st- stood out for me. We've talked about Haaland you know, a lot recently. He was, and before his injury, he wasn't just wasn't quite there with him for me. I mean, obviously the stats are just continue to be ridiculous, but it seemed like confidence had gone a bit, rustiness, he was scuffing shots, he was missing big chances. How important was it? And even after he's come back from his injury, I felt the same for a match or two. How important was it for Arlen to score a brace in this game, you know, going forward? Yeah, I was particularly delighted by the second goal he got. The mm. the first one, it kind of like, I, I, out of nowhere, a ball just kind of hung up in front of him, and he, he absolutely slammed it with it with his right foot and it flew into the back of the net, and that's great. But it's the kind of thing you don't think about. Whereas the second goal, the way he came through and that through ball from De Bruyne, um, and then had to you know, do an absolute classic uh, Haaland move of. You know, basically bouncing the defender <laughs> onto his arse, yeah. um, and, and through round the keeper and, and slamming it home. That was the kind of chance that, uh, at the first, you know, in the first couple of months of the season, um, he was fluffing a lot of those. His first touch would, would let him down somehow and he, he just would never quite get the ball under control. Uh, and that felt like the first absolute full 100% Erling Haaland goal we've seen almost all season. Um, it, it really did look like uh, Erling at his absolute best. So I thought that one was really important. But obviously he's he, he has looked just a little bit down in confidence and he's been snatching at chances, uh, been a bit too overly keen. Uh, so of course getting a couple of goals is going to make him feel a lot better. And he, he did, even though he the game kind of passed him by on Tuesday night, I thought by and mm. large, um, not, none of that was really his fault. Um, every time the camera was on him, he, he seemed to have a smile on his face and that was actually true of our entire team, I think, on, on Tuesday. Um, they looked like they were really enjoying the game. Um, and and Erling looked happy, uh, and that's the most we can possibly ask for at this point. You know, like uh, it doesn't matter too much if he's you know doing a job of drawing the defenders away to allow Phil and Kevin to to mm. actually get the goals. Um, that's an important part of Haaland's game. Um, but what I do want is for him to look like he he 
uh, is comfortable and enjoying himself and and you yeah. know, do, doing the job that he's there to do. And and he really did on Tuesday night. And I'm sure a couple of goals on Saturday were a large part of the reason why. Does take a bullet for the team sometimes. I'm saying constantly. You say yeah. it, it's not a role he plays. It's just. You know, it comes with the territory now. He'll be marked. He'll, yep. He will be a centre of attention for opposition defenders. But as you say, uh, if he's stifled, others will be freed. So that's just how it is sometimes. Frustrating for him, but uh, his reputation comes before him, basically, and they know what he's capable of. So you can't leave him alone. I felt even yep. to a lesser extent, Doku, you know, Wide is getting that attention now. So there are certain players who are just, you know, attracting that attention and they have to take one for the yeah. team sometimes. Actually, I think right. the, the, you, you, the point you made about Doc is a really important one because mm. in the second half on Tuesday night, he was almost marked out the game. Now, it wasn't, he wasn't man-marked, but I think the channels towards him, the balls to him were blocked off constantly mm. because they had identified Doku over on the left playing the ball into Haaland in the middle as being their main threat and of course what happened is that Phil and Kevin tore them apart on the other side uh, so you know that you know that's the that's the benefits you get from from having players like Doku and Haaland marked out the game yeah well let's never talk about Sean Dyche or Everton again uh, <laughs> well not this season anyway yeah the record I can't, I can't remember if it's seven it's 17 Pep versus Sean Dyche uh I can't remember if it's 18 or 19 games. So it's either 117 drawn one or 118 drawn one, one of those two. So <laughs> ridiculously good record. Done the double over Everton. No classic game, but got the three points. Got a clean sheet as well. So uh, we move on. Uh, George, Copenhagen. General all-round question for you. How comprehensive was that win? How pleasing was that 90 minutes for you? Very pleasing. Um I think, obviously, when it was going into the dying moments at 2-1, I thought, oh God, this really does flatter Copenhagen. It should not be this close of a scoreline. Mm. So that third one um, from Phil truly was the icing on the cake. And, yeah, there was just loads of pleasing elements. Um, the defence was looking very, very solid and organised. Um, the midfield very cohesive and the forward line a threat which is kind of what you want from all those different departments and just just the, my favourite part is that is that Bernardo Silva finish though it's just I've watched it about a hundred times since then <laughs> still don't get how you can do that um, with such ease but he does those he does so much of that kind of stuff and it just goes under the radar for some reason and he's never in the conversation kind of in the wider football world about, you know, where does he, his standings and ability when I think we are so spoiled having players like him in our team where he doesn't even get the headlines most weeks. It's, it's crazy, really. Mm. And a bit of an old school lineup, wasn't it? So, yeah. Like getting, the, yeah. like getting the band back together again. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, if um, you saw that lineup, it yeah, took me back a bit to, because we haven't had the chance this season to really... Play no, that, I mean, that team, you've got right? differences like obviously you had Grealish, De Bruyne and Bernardo coming into the side for Doku, Alvarez and Nunes. So it was it was a yeah, it was very different, um, especially in the final third. And everybody was looking sharp. Everybody was looking sharp. It was a shame for Grealish to get the injury. Um, the, 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 the kind of the discourse about the Grealish Doku and, and the fact that maybe people with this narrative saying he has to 
Grealish has to start for us to win trophies because of the control he gives us. I don't know if I subscribe to that. I think we we do play very well with him on the pitch, but I don't think we're in a position where if Grealish is the is the reason that we're going to be winning trophies or not. I'm, I'm I don't really get on, on on board with that. I think he's a vital member of the team, but I think there's a few more players I would have ahead of him, um, which I think mm. are crucial to our success. Ali, Grealish though is a shame. Until I don't know five matches or something, he's not got he's not kicked on from the treble season, and he's he's much better second season at City. Uh, injuries, been on the bench, had a good twenty minutes, then bang, looks like a groin strain. Shame for him above everything else, but I think it did show. Yeah, you know, there's been a there's been debate over this. Really, were City any different after he went off, and you know, was it that big a difference? But irrespective of that, I think in the 20 minutes he was on the pitch, small sample size, we saw what he can bring to the team, a reminder. But on a personal level, a shame for him to get into the team for the Champions League game and then get injured immediately. Yeah, totally that. I'm gutted for him. Um, he hasn't yeah, he hasn't had his best season. It's uh, been a bit stop-start. I, I think his hangover lasted until about November. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, he he really did look um, on top of his game on, on Tuesday night and, uh, yeah, devastated when he went down. Um, that groin strains usually aren't the worst. I, I haven't seen any medical reports. I don't know if anyone else has, but you know, nah. it'll be kind of three or four weeks kind of time. Um so he will he will still get some some of the season, uh, but uh, no, he he did show us what we'd been missing, and and he does play it differently to Doku. Um, there, it, it's a hard call whether one is you know more effective or or you know safer or whatever. Um, but the team does look a little bit different when Grealish is on the pitch, uh, and his ability to just pick up the ball, uh, run 20 yards and get fouled and alleviate all the pressure on our team is just remarkable. It's, no, it's a gift that I don't think any other footballer has quite got the same as, as he, he does. Um, and uh, it, it's you know, really important. He, he, he does an incredibly important job uh, and we miss him when he's not there. Uh, and, you know, in footballing terms, but also, I, yeah, as, as a fan, spiritually, I miss him when he's not there. I, I enjoy having Jack in the pitch. Um, I, I I like his personality and and the kind of uh, the 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 joie de vivre as the French say that he br- that he brings to to the game. Uh, so yeah, hope he hope he comes back quick. Um, it did make me think though being being able to lose Jack and and have Jeremy Doku come on, um, and then you know we're we're already one man down and all, within literally five minutes of Doku coming on the pitch, one of those bloody Vikings from Copenhagen went clattering into Doku and I thought oh mm. god he's going to go down injury as well and then I thought oh well we've got Oscar Bob and we, <laughs> and we are remarkably yeah. blessed for, for attacking wide players or you know we could even juggle Phil and Bernardo about and stay, you know like we, we can cover losing a player in that position which is you know the only save increase so it's not so much for the team you know we can we can cope with or without Jack uh, but I am absolutely gutted for the lad and, and hope he comes back quickly get well soon Jack I think he, in that 20 minutes, is they couldn't get the ball off us. And that's what he's... Yeah. That's exactly what he that. brings. And imagine the number of blue cards he'll, uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll <laughs> yeah. cause the opposition to get for cynical fans, uh, <laughs> should it ever happen. Uh, more on that later, yeah. So it is a shame. Uh, George, someone there can be no, uh, <laughs> no debate over, really, uh, is Kevin De Bruyne. Except to say... 
most people say it's brilliant, obviously, to have him back. But I think it's been suggested, you know, before, and I'll suggest it right now again. Have we actually got an even better Kevin De Bruyne back? I, is there a silver lining in that injury that he's even stronger and fresher than he used to be? I think Asan mentioned that he said in a in a uh, post press in after the match in Copenhagen that the Brentford match was the first ninety minutes he'd had. You know, Brentford match was the last time. Sorry, he'd had ninety minutes in a match until until this week, basically, which is astonishing in a way. He was carrying an injury for. Uh, obviously the latter stages of last season and then has been out for a long time so do you feel like we've got a regen <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne now from uh, since he's come back from that injury? Yeah it's an interesting school of thought isn't it I think with those injuries a lot of people were almost discussing w- will he ever be the same again um, because mm. of these muscle injuries it impacts explosiveness um, and that's a massive part of De Bruyne's game so when when he first came back, everybody was, you know, kind of watching him play through the hands almost, just hoping that nobody kicked him, he didn't get any injuries and just just praying for his for his health really. But um he's he's looked so rejuvenated and so fresh since coming back. Um he looks it in his face, he looks less tired, he looks even a little trimmer than he did before the injury. Um he's got this new beautiful long locks hairdo going on. You know, he's um he he looks in a great place physically and he's performing even better than that on the pitch as well. I think not just City fans, I think the wider football world has kind of almost this part of his career are finally kind of acknowledging him, him acknowledging him in his level as City fans have always known really because we've had this break without him in the Premier mm. League and then you know football without him for a bit and then him coming back and showing the kind of impact he can have on matches even in 20-30 minutes for, through those first few substitute appearances he, he came on and had so yeah I think we have a really really rejuvenated and fresh Kev and if we have this for the rest of the season, it sets us up beautifully. Indeed. Ali, we must mention their goal, I'm afraid. Uh, apparently only the second time in three years that an Edison mistake has led to a goal. And to state the obvious, it comes with the territory when your goalkeeper's a playmaker from you know three yards out, basically. But I have seen some sloppiness of rushing out and other little things recently that's got me a bit concerned. Going through one of those phases, he was so, so good uh, in our treble winning season and, of course, in the Champions League final. he was His contribution was as important as Rodri's or anyone else on that pitch. Any concern for you at all or is it just part of the package that every now and then a pass will go astray and that's it? Yeah, the goal on... Uh, Tuesday doesn't cause me that much concern on its own, mainly because it. When you talk about uh, Ederson, you know, having a you know, having a mistake in him, which a lot of goalkeepers do, but it's not usually that mistake. Um, you know, if uh, yeah, if, if Ederson had done what uh, was, I think, it was in the Everton game, or it might have been a game before of that, when he came absolutely flying through, and and actually this has happened in several games recently. Uh, he's got away with moments of absolute madness when he's Brentford. It, it was Brentford, out, wasn't it? Yeah, he came absolutely. What on earth? Was he doing? 
and you know, can't that, punch it, the ball anyway outside exactly, the area. So what were you God, doing? it was yeah. Um, and you know that is, if you like, the classic Ederson mistake. That's the one. I, that, that that's the mistake I expect from him. Uh, yeah. And yeah, whether it's ending up getting himself a red card or you know just you know uh, somehow ending in a heap and, and the ball rolls into the back of the net, something like that. Um, but actually, you know that. Uh, a pass back under pressure, controlling it in the goal line, and then you know playing it out to Ake with his left foot. That is Ederson's bread and butter, and I expect him to do that not ninety nine times out of a hundred, but ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine times out of a hundred thousand. I expect him to get that right, um, and it just so happened you know Tuesday was was the one. Um, so I don't think that will happen again. Uh, I, I, teeny wee bit worried about his you know just general concentration because i mm. I, I suspect that was at the root of the the mistake he made um, bored edison yeah 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 exactly that. i think yeah i think he was probably bored uh and <laughs> and he was just he was thinking about what he was doing with his girlfriend for valentine's day the next day or something you know when 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 the ball came to him um so maybe uh you know maybe that's it we, we he's got it out of his system and he will learn and, and he will be fully focused now on and if that is the case then maybe it's a price worth paying to give that goal away and choose tonight when yeah uh when we could cope with it uh so yeah i i i've got lingering small concerns about our uh consistency and concentration and and uh you know 100% focus right across the back line so our defenders and and also Ederson mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of been going on all season and I'm not entirely placated yet uh but at the same time I'm well aware that you know we, as long as we continue to win games um I've, I've never been someone who fetishizes the clean sheet uh I would much rather yeah. win a game Three one and one nil, uh, and or you know four one or or five two or whatever else you know like that. That's all fine, and especially if we're if we're losing consolation goals as we've done a couple of times lately. Really don't care much about those at all. Um, but I do worry about our our ability to stay absolutely hundred percent focused for ninety eight minutes or however other long game it is usually lasting. Uh, we haven't quite got that this season. But again, we're you know we're only now coming into the bit of the season where that really matters so uh, hopefully we've got it out of our system now I had this discussion with Steve and Ace on, on a pod in this last week would you prefer to win 2-0 or 3-1 and they said 2-0 uh, clean yeah. sheets and obviously the defence 3-1 all day I'd prefer a 3-1 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah goals go on <laughs> depends how that one was conceded I guess well, true, yeah. true. if it was yeah. welled in for 35 yards you'll take the 3-1 but if you handed it to them and play every single week you give a soft goal away and I guess it puts a different perspective on it. Sure, uh, yeah, it was an absolutely amazing strike by the, the it was the yeah, player as well. Yeah. Fair play to the lad, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, George, just Ali's already already touched on that. That third goal, uh, yeah, it's made a big difference to me. It's like it would have been, and you've touched on it as well. How much do you think that goal will affect the team that Pep picks for the second leg, or do you think no? And of course, in between two big games, but I think it made much difference to Pep. Do you think he'll go as strong as he would have done anyway? It's a hard one because sometimes the games where we think he'll pick a um, a, a more um, not weaker side, but um, a, a change side in 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 the Champions League, he often doesn't, and he, he usually does play a very strong side. So I think the third goal will affect 
not this time due to the nature of those two fixtures either side as well. Um, I think if we hadn't had those two big games uh, either side, um, I think he probably would have picked a, a, a similar side um, mm. to the first match. But with those two, I think we may see a few uh, a few people coming into the into the match, um, maybe the likes of Nunes and, and uh, from the start, Doku from the start, Alvarez as well. Um, just though, I don't think it would be a massive one, but I think he'll aim to get use. I think that's a game where he'll probably use all of his all of his substitutions for once, um, for yeah. once a season that he does it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it will affect it slightly, but probably not that much. Just going off the Pep's history with these kind of things. Uh, Ali, do you get do you get the big question now? City, boring, yeah. <laughs> Nine wins yeah. on the trot, the Champions League, first team in Champions League history to score three plus in seven successive uh, Champions League games. Eleven wins on the bounce, yeah, boring, yeah. isn't it? But. Um, the, the more pertinent question, so you get two questions really. <laughs> Still another level to go up, perhaps. Yeah, well, it must suck to be Miguel Delaney, eh? Just, just... <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I'm not quite sure how to answer a deeply sarcastic question without being deeply sarcastic myself. Yeah. Um, Take us I, back to the days when Real Madrid won it every season. I know, exactly. Um, I don't know how you can love the game of football and not just uh, enjoy watching every minute of Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, um, uh, Bernardo Silva, Erling Haaland doing the things that they do. Um, it is poetry, it is ballet, it is art, uh, and, and it is sport, and it, it's, uh, it's athleticism. Um, and I remember watching uh, vintage Barcelona, uh, probably Pep Guardiola, Barcelona with uh, Messi and Xavi and Iniesta, uh, and just being in awe of what I was seeing without having any, I don't particularly support any team in, in La Liga, uh, I don't really care who wins, um, but just being absolutely spellbound by the beauty of their football. And that is what Manchester City produce week in, week out, and we can appreciate it as City fans and I know for a fact that uh, you know the vast majority of football fans of of other Premier League teams, um, but particularly uh, those who work in the media, absolutely hate every minute of it. And very selfishly, that makes it even sweeter to me. Uh, mm. So there, there's your first answer about about boring city. Um, it, it's a it's a, an absolute delight to watch. Uh, beyond what, what was your second question? <laughs> <laughs> We'd still have another partner. level to go up. Oh, we do, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Sorry, when, when you were talking about Kevin earlier, um, he he does look leaner, he does look healthier than I think he's ever done before, and and yeah, a dashing haircut as well. Um, I think he's still got another yard of straight line speed to pick up again. Um, I think there's a couple of times he lost out on on foot races with mm. fullbacks that a couple of years ago he might have won, and I think uh, that may may yet come back to him uh which offers whole more possibilities but yeah as, as we were talking about earlier we are still making mistakes we're still giving away goals that we don't need to give away um we can still play a lot better than we are at the moment um i don't want to undervalue 
just how good, uh, particularly Phil Foden has been this year, but a lot of our other players as well. Um, I don't want to undervalue just what Jeremy Doku have brought to the team, what um, Oscar Bob can still bring. You know, like there, there's, mm. there's so much that we're not really seeing the best of. We've, we've hardly seen Rico Lewis this this year at all. Um, every time he's been in the pitch, he's looked great. So there, there are. It's not so much uh, levels. It's not so much a ceiling. But the the depth and the the breadth of of uh, capacity that we have to to win football matches is really quite remarkable at the moment. And when we have got this full squad almost fully fit, and obviously now lacking Grealish and now lacking Kovacic, and hope they're back soon in Verdiel, um, you know, all, all of this there there is so much as we go into that. Round the final, round the final bend of the uh, of the athletics track of the season, uh, hmm. then you know we we really, I hope we can go charging away, or, or at the very least, um, you know, stay stay comfortably in the shoulder and and dip for the line. I'm I'm very confident we'll be able to do that. Uh, finally, then George Phil Foden. I'm not sure. Spoke a lot about him in recent weeks, obviously. I'm not sure there's anything left to say, but despite sitting on the bench for six years, he's the youngest <laughs> Englishman to reach 50 Champions League appearances. What a legacy he could leave. Yeah, that's that's a crazy stat when you when you think about it. Um, similar, um, you think of young English players that have uh, broken through in the Champions League, the likes of Rooney and and... Players like him, and then Foden is the one, the youngest Englishman to reach fifty Champions League appearances. I mean, appearances. City always go deep now under Pep as well. So yeah, as a caveat. that will help things, and yeah. um, I think he's proven himself in that competition as well over a few years now. Yeah. Going back to that first run to to our first Champions League final, in the twenty twenty one season, um, when he was playing a really really high level. And then the last few years, whenever he's played in it, he gets goals, he gets assists. He, if he's playing on the left, he's play, if he's playing on the right, or or now when he's playing more through the middle. Um, I think if he's already at fifty appearances, who knows how he could easily get into the deep into the hundreds if he stays at City his you know whole career, which we all pray does, and and also City keep performing as well as we have been of late in this competition. Um, but I think he's having a really special season, as we've all said multiple times. And I think there is there is a there is a script set up for him to do really to do something really special. I think in in the latter stages of this competition, hopefully, um, he was so impressive when he came on in that Champions League final in Istanbul, um, when when we lost Kev through injury, playing in that middle role. And I think I think since the champ since then and the FA Cup final. He's he's just been on this up, on this rise, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. Hopefully, if we can sort things out in the home leg, what he can do in the quarterfinals, and then hopefully beyond. Uh, yeah, 25 English players have hit the 50 mark in the Champions League. There you go. Wow, Where's only 25. Youngest? Yeah. It's, the uh, Champions yeah. League, though, I guess, yeah. I, I, mm. Again, it's like renaming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're not including the European Cup. I don't know if, how the list would be different and if it, they're just talking about the rebranding of the competition, like the Premier yes. League, like Premier League stats in a way, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. So. It's, it's, Although, it's still players, surprisingly small number f- for me. Yeah, I, mm. I would have thought with some of the Chelsea teams that it's, went well, a deep yeah, in, the, in yeah. the early 2000s, some of the United 
they got back to back finals. And yeah, I'm just yeah, surprising that the, the yeah. numbers like that, but it's cool that Phil's in that in that cohort now. Mm. And both Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva have seen each of their last ten UEFA Champions League goals come in the knockout stages. There you go. Yeah, saving themselves for the uh <laughs> the big moments. So I think that's seventy five goals for Phil Foden now. I think that moves him ahead of Tevez as well. Who, who I don't think ever scored in Europe, did he? So for City. So there you go. Right. Finally, for part one, Ali, this is your moment <laughs> to be Frank and George. Uh, he could be Frank as well. Did a pod this week on Sinbins with Chris. Uh, I did call him King Canute in the intro. <laughs> uh, fighting the tide as he did a great job of trying to explain the worth of Sinbins. Uh, and it was really enjoyed chatting to him about it. Really good pod for for those you know who are subscribed. Do listen to it. It's very good. Yeah, you know, whether you hate Simbins or not, and it seems everyone hates them <laughs> apart from very few small number of people. Do listen to this. Uh, it will be informative, even if it doesn't change your mind. And hey, it might it might slight slightly change your mind. Now, Ali, I know you've listened to that podcast before. You listened to it. Were you totally against Simbins? Once you listened to it, did anything change in your attitude towards them? Yeah, I wasn't as totally down on them as most people in the game or most bands seem to be, at least. Um, I'm, I've am i actually heard Chris talk about it before from his point of view mm. as a referee, particularly at a grassroots level. Um, and he did make very clear on, on that pod this week uh, just how how much of a difference it makes to the referees and i can completely understand with with not a trace of irony or or um or or uh, mickey taking in my voice whatsoever i totally understand why uh it, why it works for referees and they probably want it um i also kind of get uh I get the distinction between grassroots and Premier League yeah. in that from a fan's point of view, there's a bit of me actually quite likes players ref shouting at the referees when I'm watching a Premier League game. Um, but that's because I'm not a referee. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's part of the colour. Um, but uh, what I what did come across uh, and and in, in attempting to uh, to put up a case for Sindins, um, Chris actually made me uh, slightly more wary of them. Particularly, he was talking. He okay, I'll tell you. I was listening while I was walking the dogs around the park, and at one point, I did an actual out loud guffaw. I I had to stop, and I properly laughed. And if anyone was watching me, they probably thought I'd got a bit mad with my uh, AirPod headphones in. Um, what I laughed at was Chris spent about a, a, several minutes explaining how if a player has had a, a yellow uh, caution C1 uh, for for <laughs> yeah. a, a, a violent tackle and then gets a, a yellow C2 uh, for a descent offence, um, he will... Uh, the referee will indicate that by uh, waving a yellow card while pointing with his other hand towards the bench, whereas if the uh, referee signals a yellow card while patting his head and picking his nose with his other hand, uh, then it's a different kind of yellow. And if you get the first kind of yellow and then get the second kind of yellow, then you won't get sent off. But if you get the first kind of yellow and then you get the same kind of yellow, then you will get sent off. But if you get the second kind of yellow and then the first kind of yellow in that order, then you won't get sent <laughs> off unless you're a goalkeeper. And it's all really very straightforward. 
<laughs> when he got to that line a minute, all being very straightforward, that was where he lost me. Um, so, uh, interestingly, <laughs> being, being deadly, uh, uh, Chris, if you're listening, I love you and thank you very much for everything you do for the game and for this podcast, but you really did make me laugh. Um, what I will say is in making the argument for why there, uh, there doesn't need to be a blue card, he made a very compelling argument argument why it should be a blue card and not just a yellow where you point to the bench because I think if we are going to have sin bins, it needs to be completely separated from the the yellow cards where if you get two of them, it gets turned into a red card and that kind of thing, you know, because when you mix up one of them with the other, suddenly you've got absolute chaos. Um, I'm still not clear what happens when a, when a goalkeeper uh, argues with the referee and and you know can can you then can the manager then make two substitutions one of which is a goalkeeper who comes on instead of you know like all, all of those kind of things it's just absolutely mm. chaotic um so uh, if we are ever to have sin bins um then i think it does have to have a completely different color of card that doesn't interfere with the yellow card so you know if you get if you get two blue cards then yes you can get sent off yeah but if you get one blue card and one yellow, then they don't, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, that has to be clarified. Uh, and I am now much more worried just about the complexities of anyone having a clue what is going on well, if it was ever to happen. Um, he wasn't but, totally for it himself. I mean, you totally. know, the, I thought it was presented. It came out, you know, the way yeah. it was presented was very poor indeed, and including fouls. You know, I, yeah. I was for it in theory for a while now, but just for dissent, because yeah. I think that's an issue in football that needs to be stamped out. And I think referees are loath to issue normal yellow cards for a lot That's of people where yeah, ten, yeah. Well, the more I think the more likely to you know 10 minutes in the sim bin or on the naughty step they're prepared to do so yeah. he wasn't totally for you know for That's it right. or how it's yeah. been presented or and I again it's he... about application as much as theory because yeah, VAR made a could in theory work but it's application has been <laughs> yeah. appalling absolutely appalling that's it. I think what he did make a, a good case for is the idea that sometimes players just need to cool down. Um, yeah. And I can actually understand from a uh, you know, from point of view of the good of the game, um, if a player is obviously losing his head to the extent he's either going to yell and swear at the referee or he's going to, to you know, perpetrate an act of violence against one of uh, an opponent or even his own teammate, then actually uh, anticipating that and sending them off to cool down for 10 minutes uh, does make a, a degree of sense, and I can see how that would work. Um, it's yeah. just the complexities that it introduces and, and the just whole more layers of opportunity for the officials to, to mess things up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to be persuaded of the merits of, well, of the entire scheme. Yeah, and I think that was the key point he would make. It calms play. It's a chance yeah. to calm players down and think about what they've done. <laughs> Makes them sound like a naughty school child. You know, it's exactly. Don't call it a call it a naughty step. And then, yeah, and put then a dunce cap make, on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shame we can't give them to managers, to be honest, if that's the key advantage of them, because I think managers need them more than players, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, as I, I'm going to pitch for Hot Potatoes future podcast that my theory that the modern that two card system is not fit for the modern game, so uh, which I know Chris would vehemently disagree with. So <laughs> I might put that on the list because I think in that way it mm. could help for the reason I said before. I think there has to be an in between 
you know, an orange, you know, we've talked about yeah. orange cards so many times, don't we? I'm not sure, considering how easy it is to get a yellow nowadays, I'm not convinced two-card system is perfect. But that's for another time. And finally, George, uh, you've got a couple of minutes uh, to give your views. Are you totally against them yourself? Um, I'm not totally against the sin bins for dissent, as you guys have said. It's the whole um, cynical foul thing for me, which is just should be a total uh, non-starter. Um, for one, how do you gauge? How are the refs going to gauge mm. between a foul and a cynical foul? Is there some kind of cynicism barometer that I'm not aware of that <laughs> they have access to, so they can tell these things? And it'll just be carnage, and it will add to the the already too. Um, too swollen narrative about a refereeing and officiating the fact that we have these ref watch programs on sky now and all this kind of stuff and the discourse and the narrative these uh, the if somebody starts getting blue cards for cynical fouls when somebody says it should just be a yellow and they should have stayed on the pitch if it's like in the 87th minute and they just there'll be so much discourse and narrative and it'll just be more unbearable than it already is um but i think um as far as dissent goes i think obviously Chris has seen the benefits of this at um at grassroots level, so therefore I think things like that you know we're, those are the kind of things that you can then emulate in the professional game because I think it's the more human element like you said of people just need to chill out calm down for a bit and definitely as you alluded to at the end there some of the managers lose their heads the most at the moment I think um I don't know if it's all a bit of an act and stuff trying to distract from the players but um mm. Yeah, some of the managers definitely need need a like a a chill out room uh, for a few minutes. Um, some of the antics on the sideline this year have just been embarrassing. But um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not overly all for them, but I could be I could definitely um, get on board with the dissent element of it. Okay, right, that's end of part one. Uh, right, part two. Yesterday I spoke to Chelsea fan Dan. Uh, about his club in what has been, let's be honest, a crazy couple of years and still pretty crazy at the club. Uh, yeah, this is what he had to say about Chelsea. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Chelsea fan Dan Richards. Uh, good afternoon, Dan. How are you? Hi, Howard. Yeah, all good, thanks. Good to yeah. be uh, back here once again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've just checked. I mean, obviously we've spoken before and I have the memory of a, well, of a, an old go fish, I would say. Uh, it was before the four-all draw that we last spoke, was it? Yeah, we spoke just, it was just after the, the crazy game uh, at Tottenham, uh, before the 4-4. Crazy week of football that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. That <laughs> that must have uh, played havoc with your nerves that week then. So, oh, so, or, was... or were you just uh, loving the entertainment? So. I mean, a bit of both. I think always when it's your own club involved, it's... Uh, yeah, hiding behind the sofa if you're watching at home, and then yeah, buying your nails in the in the stadium. Really, how do you explain that full game? Because I remember doing the review and say, and just saying, there's no point in even bothering. Really, to be honest, yeah, was it just a, a couple? I know the the Spurs game. It's hard to say it was an outlier. We had an even just as crazy a game the week before, but that was crazy for red cards and uh, mm. Spurs' high line just made it pure Barclays entertainment. But that fall still just stand out as one of those ridiculous games that makes no sense to you? Or did it actually make sense to the Chelsea of the last 18 months? No, it didn't really make much sense, to be honest. I mean, coming into it, I think I predicted a, a 3-1 City win 
Um, but yeah, I was not expecting that game to play out at all um, as it did because I, I don't think we'd actually scored a goal against City in the four sort of Premier League meetings that since the the Porto game actually mm. since the final. So I was very surprised to see sort of this four four Premier League classic uh, <laughs> on the night. But yeah, I, I really expected City to control the game. But I think just out of possession, we Chelsea sort of hassled and harried and. Um, yeah, forced City into making mistakes, basically. And uh, there was a lot of kind of high turnovers um, up the pitch, yeah. which allowed us to kind of get get into the game and sort of to come back from behind three times. Uh, it was, it's the kind of, uh, you know, defiant spirit that I really wasn't expecting. And to make City look that uncomfortable was, um, yeah, really unexpected. Uh, we do Premier League shows, of course, and we talk about other teams because... I'll be, you know, I love talking about other teams. Talk about City every day can get boring, to be honest. And or just you know, one club all the time. And I, I know a few times it's like there's been a Chelsea win. I'm like, looks like they're turning a corner here. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, looks like it's all coming together at last. Uh, that was three months ago, twelfth and I think it was twelfth of November, something like that. The four draw. Has mm. anything changed at Chelsea since then? In your how you feel about? the potential, the future of this team or what it can achieve or has absolutely nothing changed and it's the same old inconsistency and uncertainty? Yeah. I mean, in terms of just the, the, the consistency, it's it's a very similar pattern now to three months ago. We're blowing hot and cold. Um, I mean, even even in the last few weeks, we have sort of the, the, the lows of that defeat at Anfield where basically tell, failed to turn up um, and then really embarrassing loss at home to Wolves um, with Thiago Silva's wife sort of publicly <laughs> criticising Pochettino on Twitter. Um, and then and then that's followed a few days later by like a, a very credible performance at Villa. Um, and then an, on Monday, this sort of gritty win at Selhurst um, with, yeah. with, a late, with a couple of late goals. I mean, yeah, it's, it, we really are up and down, um, to be honest, uh, Howard. Um, yeah, it's it's exactly the same pattern as before the so, game in November. So you never know what's coming when a game starts because I imagine as Chelsea fan, you you didn't go. I mean, it was a replay as well. You didn't go into that Villa game with high hopes. I imagine having drawn nil nil in the first game and with your inconsistency, and they like the form home team in Europe. Yeah, I think, exactly. Still. And then you go and do that. So do you never know what's coming when a game starts? Essentially, essentially not. I think, and I, to be honest, I think. Thinking about the the profile of the squad, given how young the team is, like to, to sort of average age in the starting eleven at Villa of sort of 22, 23 years old, I think it is understandable that they're not always going to provide the same performance level mm. game in, game out. So I've come to expect the unexpected and sort of, yeah, expecting consistency from this side. Uh, two wins on the bounce, then a few losses and just that kind of pattern. Um, that's the, the kind of how our season's been, really. So, were you any clearer in your own head, or Chelsea? I know you can't speak for entire fan base. <laughs> Are Chelsea fans any clearer in their own head about the future? Is there an optimism there? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's the the, fa- the fan base is quite polarised. I yeah. I feel generally more positive than negative. Um, right. I mean, there's been d- tying into sort of the wider sort of philosophy or strategy. Um, there's been a lot of column inches written about the sort of Clear Lake Bowley sort of youth uh, sort of 
targeting youth, this this view they have that uh, sort of youth in football is under undervalued, and that's why we've seen these massive premiums paid on for for potential rather than um, proven quality, um, which is I guess a break from the conventional wisdom of how you build a squad. Mm. Um, and I think we're on a path that no club has ever walked in terms of balancing the demands of having all these this to develop this young talent in the in the first team while also the pressure of having to compete at the highest level. Um, I think from my point of view, you might think that model is flawed, but it's probably too early to say yeah. whether or not. And um, at least at least it's ambitious. I'd, I'd rather there's a, stra- a strategy in place um, than, than no strategy. Um, and in terms of tangible sort of <laughs> on the pitch, um, we, we've already scored, you know, I think we've scored three more goals this season um, than, than in the entirety of last season. And wow. obviously there's about 14 games still to go. We've, <laughs> we've shipped a lot more goals at the back. But I think, yeah, despite kind of sleepwalking from crisis to crisis almost, um, we're in a cup final, we're scoring goals. Um, I, I'm, I'm still positive. Uh, our resident legal expert, uh, Stefan, has been sticking the knife in to Chelsea yeah. in weeks on, with the number. I don't know if you come across his work. Uh, I have. Uh, he does know his stuff. Uh, from the side of Chelsea, uh, you know, they think they'll be compliant next year. He certainly doesn't. Uh, I spoke just this week about the utter fatigue of, of you know, as a football fan, having to talk about stuff like this in that never seem to talk about football anymore. Uh, <laughs> so you as a fan, uh, do you concern yourself with the, with the financials, the FFP meeting or s- meeting the sustainability rules? Do you know that side of things? I mean, Conor Gallagher, one of your best players this season, absolutely mm-hmm. surprised me how good he's been. Uh, still being linked with a sail away. Is it something that does concern you or do you just try and concentrate on actual on-pitch stuff? It, it does. To be honest, it does concern me. Um, I'm not sure if that applies to most m- most of the fan base, but I mean, yeah, yeah li- listening to yeah some of the stuff uh, Stefan has said in terms of well, obviously we've we've made this massive outlay in the 2023 transfer window, and it, it looks very unlikely that we're going to um, make the Champions League places this season, which will leave you know another massive hole. Counts, hmm. you know, 80 million pounds worth of revenue you get from participation um so it'll be very interesting to see when we file our um accounts at the end of this year if if they have been able to be compliant i mean my only hope as a fan is you know the people running the club you would hope that, that these are smart people so there's got to be a plan in place to balance the book and, <laughs> and keep, keep us compliant how many um, fans have said that oh yeah, the, we've got I mean, smart people running our club we'll be fine yeah. They try 115 charges. <laughs> yeah, I think they're smart yeah. people, but here we are. Yeah, I I agree. But I mean, in terms of just balancing the books, these are people who've run businesses. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I I think it, it seems to all intents and purposes that significant player sales are going to be required. Yeah. If you listen, if you read the you know some of the stuff the Swiss Rambles put out, and and just this just the the basic numbers. It doesn't really add up without big sales um before the end of this this period um 2023-24 um this accounting period so yeah i mean as a fan it's 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 much more enjoyable to just focus what that 
what's happening on the pitch, but it's quite worrying. And that's not even to mention the fact that the club are already being investigated for sort of uh, sort of FFP breaches from, you know, Roman Brovich's time yeah. in regard to sort of payments made to offshore companies in that in that period. So th- there's some dark clouds forming above Stamford Bridge, but you've just got to hope that there's a plan in place to, to navigate these these challenges. Mm-hmm. As, as the ones. They're the ones they self-reported, is it not? Yeah, yeah, self-reported, um, which hasn't seemed to benefit Everton in their. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> it's a slightly different, different. Is it's not a a bookkeeping thing. It's it's more of a it's just not declaring, you know, wow. <laughs> payments. But um, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, obviously, City are in a a very similar position, mm. but haven't self-reported. So uh, it seems to date that self-reporting has not led to much <laughs> leniency from. From the Premier League, but maybe next season just ten sides in the Premier League will start on minus ten or fifteen, and uh, (laughs) should make it interesting. Do do you do you know at all if the club had factored in that they must, you know, Champions League qualification when they were doing this uh, spending spree, or do you not know whether that's part of it? I think they will have. I think even last season they were some of their financial planning was, was was seems to have been based on on getting that revenue. From the Champions League participation, I think again with the outlay they made last summer, they would have. I think they would have definitely been hoping um, <laughs> to to make the you know fifth place could even get you Champions League this season. Um, but yeah, it's become increasingly clear that that's not going to that's going to be very unlikely this year. So yeah, we'll have to see how they manage it. Swiss Rambles just done his uh, a thing today on Champions League. Oh yeah. Uh, Income City <laughs> City made 133.7 million from the Champions League. Yeah, I mean it's Last incredibly season. important to to com- com- compliance really. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's probably impossible to make more than that because they won it. But you know, even if you go, even if you get to say the quarterfinals, you're making an absolute packet out of that. Exactly. So it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's not getting into that Champions League place is is uh, huge. Have you given up on that, basically? Uh, I mean... Let, let's assume fifth place gets Champions League. That's Aston Villa played 24 with 46. Yeah, you're 12 points behind. I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, yeah, Villa sitting on 46 points. You need a massive drop-off from them, which I just... Yeah. Obviously, they, they've had a... They've lost a couple of games on the bounce. The home record's gone. But I just... I, given... I mean... Given Chelsea's inconsistency to to make up that number of points with fourteen games left is just, yeah. I think it's fanciful. Really, it's not just them you have to overtake, is it? It's everyone yeah, exactly. between yeah. Villa as well. You need United to drop off, and so on. Uh, indeed. Yeah, Pochettino. What's what's his situation? Is he has he got credit with the fans or are people wavering again? You can't speak for everyone, so maybe uh, it's just yeah. uh, your own personal opinion. But has he still would, got fans on his side generally? I would say generally, yes and no. I think, again, another very polarising figure amongst the fan base. For me, I, I'm happy with uh, with Poch. I think, as I've mentioned, with, with this, just the number of young players in the team, um, I, I think that's his strong suit, um, sort of managing these young players. I think Cole Palmer spoke, um, I think it was after the Palace game, and he specifically cited sort of the support from Poch as why he's been thriving so much at Chelsea, mm. the, putting his arm around him, giving him the freedom to go out and play. Uh, I think that's understated, sort of the the the, the potch effect in terms of, of galvanising young players. Um, I do think 
he's rightly been questioned for some of the tactical decisions he's made, particularly his insistence at playing sort of um, Levi Colwell mainly at left back, um, which I think a lot of the fan base found it very hard to understand why you would, would do that and not mm. play Jan Matson or an established left left back who can give you an attacking threat. Um, and the mood, the mood after the Wolves game, I have to say, from being in the ground, incredibly toxic. But um, yeah. I think that was mainly directed at the ownership rather than Poch himself. Um, I, I guess the ex-Tottenham thing means that some fans are never going to warm to him. Um, mm. That's silly, personally. Um, but if, if we do have a poor run of results, it's kind of, that will always be the stick that's um, used to beat him with. Um, but yeah, in terms of his position, I think it's incredibly unlikely that the club will um, move him on before the end of the season. Um, just given given what happened no at Potter yeah. last season, um, the massive drop-off under Lampard, um, another payout to another manager. And I think, you know, they've seen enough progress to... Um, to give until the end of the season and then make an assessment, I think. I, I always forget and overlook the, the London rivalries, basically. <laughs> Obviously, there's some obvious ones in this space. So what is your ranking of, of London rivalries for Chelsea? Uh, well, I think 100% Spurs is, is the, the biggest rivalry. Right. Um, and then I'd say, especially at the moment, I mean, given Arsenal's sort of recent um, upturn in the past couple of seasons, Arsenal just sitting behind them there. And then beyond that, there's there is a rival with with West Ham, but I think that's more linked to the sort of issues around football hooliganism in the nineties. Yeah, yeah um, the old days. Is, yeah, yeah the, the old days, which are now kind of subsided, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say the main two are probably yeah Spurs and Arsenal, and yeah. maybe West Ham, a sort of distant third, really. I think there's a real. I was out West Ham fans last. Uh, you know, for their cup final last season, and they were going on about they hated the North London side. So it's, yeah, seems they, to be a theme. <laughs> I didn't realise. I didn't. I had no idea that West Ham. Main was, theme yeah. is Tottenham and everyone else. Uh, so I think Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham. They all probably view. I mean, Millwall aside with West yeah. Ham, they view uh, yeah Spurs as the main rival. I, I, it's hard to put a finger on what it is. I think with Chelsea, it comes back to sort of a, a sequence of games we played in the sixties. Um, against Spurs, um, I think off the field issues as well, in the same way that it is with West Ham. But yeah, it's it's quite it's quite. If you're not in the London bubble, it's kind of hard to yeah to be across. That. Obviously, you know about the North London derby, but yeah, there is there is a lot of hatred so, between these London. So clubs. many sides as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got the cup final the week after, yeah. After that, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's be honest. Terrible performance at Liverpool. Is it as confidence increased since then that you can actually win the trophy? I mean, I think I, I, to, to to say there's confidence, I think is you know a bit of a stretch, um, given how poor that performance was. But I think at least having seen a reaction at Villa, particularly yeah. Villa and also at Palace, it is clear that uh, I think the manner of that that victory at Villa sends a message that the Chelsea players are still playing for the manager. And that, you know, he can get a response out of them. I, I guess the challenge is to now kick on from that. And I think there's, you've seen enough from this season that Chelsea have raised their level to that of their opposition, especially in these bigger games, you know, Liverpool at home, Arsenal at home, City. Um, so I think there's a, a belief that if, if the right kind, the right Chelsea turns up on the day, we could make a, you know, 
a game out of it with Liverpool. If if, yeah. if the side that turned up at Anfield um, turns up on the day, then it's going to be yeah, it's going to be more of the same. But it's not yeah, at least not at Anfield, is it? So of course, exactly a level. Uh, Cole Palmer annoyingly still your best player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. What what you know? Are there any more words <laughs> for for Cole? I mean, yeah, he's he's just been he's definitely our most effective yeah attacking mm. option. And to be honest, he's pretty much the first name on the team sheet, which is crazy. From uh, just an absolute, if you'd taken me back to sep- September or late August, I mean, you never would have predicted that for a player who made such few made so so few senior appearances. Um, yeah. He uh, he's brilliant. Um, sort of, I, I guess his best position still is that kind of playmaking right winger, he, he, drifting into number ten. He has been played at, as a false nine in some games recently, which I don't think plays his his best uh, strengths. But I mean, the stats speak for themselves. Like twelve goals and nine assists um, in all competitions, by far our highest goal contrib- contributor. Um, I'm just hoping that the return of Christopher and Kunku can sort of take a bit of the creative pressure off his shoulders and uh, knit the forward line together a bit better because the, the burden is always falling on Cole and obviously it's a very young set of shoulders. So, mm. yeah, hoping with Nkunku's return it can be a bit more balanced. Uh, batch on Saturday then. Optimism levels, question mark? Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can link to this. How do you see the game playing out? It's like, kind mm. of answered this already in that, I don't know. City will be favourites, obviously. And I'm guessing you don't know, really, what's going to happen in this match, do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for sure. And obviously, it's impossible to predict. It's, it's dependent on what type of Chelsea shows up. My gut feeling is that just City have really gone up a level since our last meeting. I mean, 11 wins on the bounce now. Uh, De Bruyne is back in. Harland is firing. Uh, I, th- I think John Stones was not fit for the game at Stamford Bridge, who obviously makes a massive difference. Yeah, and, he's been out virtually the entire yeah, yeah, but it gives that control that Pep sort of demands. Um, so I, I actually think there's a real danger we could get played off the park on Saturday, uh, to be honest, um, just it, just by how strong City are at the moment. Um, I guess on the other side of that coin... It is a free hit for us, as, as you mm. said. Like the expectation will be on City. It's going to be low for us. Um, I don't think anyone will be expecting anything but a City win. And we do sometimes up the performance level against bigger sides who are more expansive, um, such as you know Villa, leave, who leave us a bit more space um, yeah. in behind. Um, but to be honest, from my point of view, Howard, it's a bit of a going into the game. I, I, I really don't mind what happens because if City win they stay you know stay uh, favourites in the title race um, as I, I just can't I just don't want a situation where Chelsea win and I there's the sort of Liverpool Arsenal factor sort of doing them a favour would be the last thing I want from from this weekend so yeah, I thought the entire nation is behind <laughs> Liverpool um, oh no I, I think no not, I think all Chelsea fans would you know a Liverpool or Arsenal title win would be an absolute disaster just for your Twitter feed, just for like, just for, you know, walking down the street. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be horrible. So, um, yeah, it's a bit, it'll be a bit of a bittersweet one. If we, if Chelsea were to upset, uh, call City an upset on Saturday, it will be, yeah, a bittersweet moment. And inconsistency of the team, is it impossible to say really 
you've had some away wins recently, you know, the Cup and Palace. And I watched yeah. that first half at Palace was, wow. Dreadful. <laughs> it was dreadful, <laughs> yeah. It was, well, yeah, pretty dire stuff. And it was like the lack of intensity in a way, but much better in the second half. So I'm not sure mm. what to take from it. Uh, are you better at home or not? Or is it literally, you know, <laughs> anything could happen both home and away? I I don't know, to be honest. I, obviously, we did have that run of sort of four home wins in five. Um, but I, I honestly think that, um, you know, if you look at the, the Wolves performance, um, it, it, it's, it, I, don't, I don't think you can read too much into home versus away form. You yeah. know, it's, it's clear we're just going to blow hot and cold <laughs> regardless of the setting. So um, it's really hard to predict. And I think it is because of the age of the squad, really. It's just that they are learning. Oh. It's um, gonna, it's gonna be even younger on Saturday. I see Thiago Silva's out. He is um, out. Yeah, after hobbling off. Sterling didn't start. Have you any idea what the starting eleven might be? Yeah, I, I think it's Colwell's it, back, any so he might yeah. not be at left back, but might actually get to play in his preferred exactly. position. Yeah, I, I think the front three is the only question mark. But I think the 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 midfield and the defence. I think there's not many options. I think obviously it'll be Petrovic in net, and then you'll have Gusto. Colwell um, and Axel de Sassi. Hmm. Uh, well, Colwell and Axel de Sassi as the two centre-backs and then Chilwell at left-back. And then it'll be the, the standard midfield of Gallagher, Enzo Fernandez, Caicedo. And I think in terms of the front three, Palmer will start. And then my feeling is he'll go with Nkunku and Nicholas Jackson. Um, um, Jackson, obviously, <laughs> he's he's had nine bookings this season. So if he was to pick up a tenth, he would miss. He would be ruled out of the the cup final. So Ooh. that's my only question mark as to whether Pochettino will risk him with his temperament um, at City away. But I think he has been playing well, particular uh, sort of a left winger um, in recent weeks. So I think he'll go with Palmer and Kunku and Jackson. It's quite impressive getting nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean the one on. Well, one against Palace, he literally, he was on the bench and he just ran the, across the pitch right past uh, Michael Oliver straight into celebrating Chelsea fans um, and players. And yeah, of course, you're going to get booked for that. Um, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. Some of his early me, ones were ridiculous as well, weren't they? If memory serves me right. So. I think most, um, I think the vast majority have been for, for non, non-footballing non offences, so to speak. So, mm. you know, dissent. Um, but yeah, he, he's a nightmare. I imagine if you played fantasy football, yeah, get get him out of there. <laughs> like, it's still, I mean, it's a hell of a handy lineup there when you say it. It's like, it must be frustrating as a yeah. Chelsea fan, that but I, I mean, guess you see that with their average age, that the, the potential is there, is it not, for the future? Yeah, I mean, if you spend that much money, if you spend a billion yeah, pounds, should, it should be good. Yeah, it should look all right. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, like I said, there's. I'm more positive than negative, and I'm not sure. I think I might be in a minority there, but um, I think there's enough there, uh, enough development for for this team to come good. It, it may well not be on Saturday, yeah, but um, but I think By next yeah. season, yeah. By next season, and did, on, you know, looking forward. Did you not mention Sterling then in that eleven that you predicted, or did I? Mention? I didn't. I, I think so he didn't start against like, Palace. What's the situation with him? Well, I think after a pretty promising first half of the season, he's yeah. been a bit more consistent in recent weeks, um, and I think he found himself left out uh, against Villa and then also against Palace, and I, he continues to be quite a polarizing figure in um, again amongst the fan base ah um, welcome to our world yeah you know <laughs> I, I i'm just you know you've heard this all before really but indecisive yeah. 
hesitation, making the wrong decision in the final mm. third. I mean, he is an effective player, um, and I think yeah. he's been far more effective this season than he was last, but um, last campaign. But I would not be surprised if, in the summer, Chelsea looked to potentially move him on if there was a buyer. Wow. Look at Saudi, <laughs> hopefully. Um, uh, because, you know, if if the plan is to build around this kind of youthful core, I, I don't really see where a 29-year-old Sterling features in that sort of the longer-term plans, as particularly given how give the wages he's on and, and, and how ineffective he's been at, that, at being that senior player who's that leader. I, I think, I don't know if he has a super long, long-term kind of future in the team. Mm. I hadn't even realised he's 29. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's been around forever, so he's a, <laughs> it's he's logical it is, but I've never thought of it. I always think of him as young still. Yeah, I don't know he's, why. He's in the same school school year as me, so I can keep wow. touching him. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Right, I always finish with a score prediction. Go with your head or your heart or both. It's up to you. I think uh, I'm going to go with my heads, and given the Arsenal and Liverpool factor, potentially my heart as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go City 3, Chelsea 1, which is the same uh, scoreline I went with for the, the game at Stamford Bridge. I think this time, I think this time it might be more likely to be correct. I've got a, <laughs> I know they count for nothing, but I've got a weird feeling about this. So we're, we're both uh, going against our sides. I think it'll be 2 all. I've just got a feeling. 2 2. Yeah, it will be. To, yeah, a Desmond. So, uh, just, a Desmond result. I, yeah, I don't know. Just something about it thinks that it'll actually be one of our more tricky games. Uh, and yeah. being too chaotic again that Pep hates. But hey, I've no idea. It, this is one. Yeah, City should win. But you just, I say, the quality you actually have that if you do click, and we've no idea if you, if Chelsea will click on the night. That it's just impossible to call. So we will see. Dan. Could have talked for another half hour as always. Thank you very much for taking the time out for for uh, to chat to us. I really appreciate it. Not at all, Howard. Always a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. And as always, after this weekend and especially next weekend, all the best with the rest of the season. <laughs> Thank as well. you very much. Thanks very and much. And to you as well. Yeah, cheers. All right, we'll go back to the panel now to preview Saturday evening's game. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, great value as always. Could have talked a lot longer as uh, loved talking to the opposition fans section. Uh, very illuminating. Right, George, I'm going to uh, start with you. Half five, not half 12 like last week. Uh, almost under the light, so it will be by the end. Uh, perfect kickoff time for you. Oh, I, yeah, it's by far the best uh, kickoff time, especially if, if you go into the match, especially um, half five is the best for me. Um, you can, you know, your Saturday, you can, if you've got any activities to do, get them out, get them out of the way in the morning. Um, and um, you can head into town a bit earlier than usual. Um, if you want, grab something to eat or grab a few drinks and then head to, you can take in the three o'clock scores as they come in, having a good chat with your mates or your family or whoever. And, uh, then off to the match at half five. Uh, the atmosphere is always better than at half 12 and a three o'clock, I think. Um, if it, if we're just, talking about standard you know matches no no kind of um derbies or title deciders that kind of thing mm. um so yeah i'm a as you can tell a big big fan of the half five saturday kickoff <laughs> yeah anything's better than half 12 on the saturday oh uh, uh, yeah ali always asks this a bit tongue-in-cheek but we're getting to the business end of the season now and it feels city have to be relentless must win game or not <laughs> no no, it's not must win game, but if I very much would like to win game, yeah. uh, you know, um, 
It's in our there hands. There will be isn't it? It's in our hands. Between Keep it now, in our hands. Between now and the end of the season, there will be twists and turns. All teams will almost certainly drop points, um, and we'll we'll nudge ahead, nudge behind, and that will continue to happen. So no, it's not a must-win game, uh, but I really don't want to lose it. And it's a there. There are so many subplots to this one, uh, particularly about mm. you know players coming back. Talk about that too, but um, but but mostly just the sheer unpredictability of Chelsea. Um, I have got absolutely no idea what can I put in then. You can have the next question as well, then, Ali. How do we predict how this game plays out? (laughs) Should we just wrap up the show? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea how we predict how this game plays out. Um, I I just uh, I, I do not know what to make of Pochettino of Chelsea this mm. season at all. I, I, I thought I know a reasonable, there a small amount about football. Um, most things that happen in this game, most things that happen in the Premier League, I can kind of get my head around. I cannot get my head around Chelsea's season at all in any way. They have got really good players. They've got loads of really good players. And they've not just got players with you know a, a lot of ability um they've got one or two notably Cole Palmer who's you know arguably been a you know, Premier League team of the year candidate he's absolutely on fire um and they still keep losing games that they should win and then winning games that they should have lost uh and it's been quite on all season and you think you know, like every time they have a good result, you think, oh, well, that, that'll be it. They've turned themselves yep. around and, and they will put together a, a string of 12 wins or, or whatever on the trot. And then they'll go out and, and lose 4 2 to Wolves or whatever the, you know, the next week. Um, and they've been doing it again and again. It, I'm very reluctant to blame managers uh, and, and, in, in terms of the, 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 the overall story about a Premier League season and, and how football works, uh, I th- I'm more inclined to blame players and, and circumstance and bad luck and whatever. Um, but it does seem Pochettino, who I rated really highly and I, I genuinely did think he was an A-list manager, probably still do. Um, there's something that is not clicking there. He is not getting performances out of that group of of players that any top manager should. Uh, So to answer your question, how is it going to play? It could be be an incredibly dull nil-nil that we then nick one goal in the 90th minute. Um, It could get really bogged down or it could be another 4-4 or this time, you know, we'll we'll nick it by four and and you know, absolutely anything could happen. And I, I know it's the Premier League and kind of anything can happen on any given but especially this match uh, totally well, unpredictable I mean Dan mentioned you know potential lineup, and you, you look at it and go bloody hell that's a good side you yeah. know with some good players left on the bench it's like mm. <laughs> And but yeah. as you say we have no idea what Chelsea's going to turn up uh, absolutely no uh, George does that chaos of that 4-4 match actually make you more apprehensive for this match no, it doesn't. You know, I think that was. I think that was just uh, an enigma of a match. It was. It was just <laughs> an outlier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was there. This. It was. It was a great. It was a great day. And but you kind of came away from it saying, "How the hell has that happened?" Um, and you just knew um, that it was one of those games which was just the just just the the perfect storm of craziness, really. Um, whereas this match, I think City are more settled now. Um, we've got although just as we got everybody back, we've just got a few more injuries, but um, we've got some of our you know key players back, and the main thing is we've got Kevin De Bruyne back for this match, and he wasn't playing in the last one, 
and mm. he is someone who you can tell holds a grudge whenever he plays against Chelsea. It's <laughs> um, he, personal. It it is. Through, yeah. He. He's such a peaceful man when he's interviewed and stuff, but he, he, on the pitch he does play with a certain amount of rage. It's part of his game, but when he plays against Chelsea, he's 100% rage, and I, I don't know why, because um, obviously he only spent a little bit of time there, but I just think he feels so aggrieved um, for the way it kind of played out and maybe Mourinho and the club's treatment of him during his time there that every time we play them, he has a point to prove and usually performs really well because... When he when he is full of rage, he does play really well. It's just uh, just uh, something about him. So yeah, hopefully, with Kevin the side pulling the strings, I would like to think we'll have a bit more control um, of the game. And I think our defence, we've got Ake playing really well at the moment. He didn't play in the away leg, and I think um, Gvardiol, who has been, who's had a bit of, he's got a bit of grief off some people this season, but. I think he's been playing really well considering what he's been asked to play left wing most of the time. But the Chelsea away one was probably his not his finest hour. Um, and there was a few individual mistakes which led to goal. So maybe with Ake coming into this, we'll probably be playing on Saturday. So I think we'll be more solid at the back. Have Kev um, flying out of the middle. And yeah, Phil obviously continuing his form. So I don't think it'll be as chaotic. Um, maybe they've just cursed it now. But yeah, I maybe. don't think it will be. Yeah, uh, that first eleven and Ali. Well, I'm we're doing this before the press conference. Gavardio and Grealish are out. I'm gonna mm-hmm. say that Bernardo Silva's after being yeah. that red card defence is probably out as well because he took one hell of a whack on his ankle. Uh, and we have a match on Tuesday as well, of course. Uh, if guessing that those three are out, does the team pick itself? I would suggest take the team when Doku came on for Grealish and put Kovacic, who's apparently Pep said he's back after Copenhagen match, put him in for Bernardo. Is that your team? It would be my team. Uh, I've got a hunch that Pep might go with Nunez rather than uh, uh, Kovacic, but who knows. Uh, But also, as I said earlier, we're now in the bit of the season where Pep will be um, looking not just at this game but the one ahead and the one after that too um, he will be aware of trying to keep everybody uh, you know, match fit and, and ready so there will be considerations in Pep's head that, that go well beyond you know just the game on, on Saturday and, and then the Brentford one as well uh, so who knows I, yeah, I wouldn't be enormously surprised to see one or two wild cards in there whether it's an Oscar Bob uh, Rico Lewis you know a player like that just just to shake things up a bit um, but the core of it absolutely you know probably eight or nine of these players pick themselves uh, and it, I'm now happy enough with everyone's form and happy enough with the form of the squad uh, that it doesn't fuss me too I mean as long as it's not a you know complete mm. uh, wombats and giraffes kind of Pep Guardiola selection that he's mostly I think uh, consigned to history. We don't we don't get many completely wacky ones. The, actually, the Everton the Everton starting lineup was about as eccentric as Pep gets nowadays. Uh, yeah. So uh, so I would expect something you know. I, you know uh, I wouldn't expect anything beyond those limits of extremes. Um, I will add as well, I, I now feel much better about this match after George's uh, uh, excellent analysis there um, of not so much 
what Chelsea brought to the 4-4, but what we brought to the 4-4 and, and how different it will be this time. So I'm feeling a little bit um, uh, uh, calmer and, and more confident than I was about five minutes ago. So thanks, George. <laughs> I watched them Monday night at Palace and I'm none the wiser, to be honest. I mean, they were yep. dire first half against, let's be honest, a damn poor yep. uh, Palace side missing some of the best players. But they went on to win and were a bit better second half and they put Palmer yeah. in the, on the right. You know, yeah, like, I mean, actually, I, I come thought, out of that thinking, well, I'm not the wise of what this Chelsea yeah. side is. I, mean, I, I thought they were actually pretty awful for about 75, yeah. 80 minutes. On, it, it was yeah. only literally in the last 10 minutes that they actually 10, started yeah. looking like a decent, decent team. Um, and, you know, that, that's not right. You should, if you like to think of yourselves as, as a, a contender for the you know, top four, top six, never mind the title, then you have to be putting teams away like like Palace because they're really not very good at the moment. And Chelsea did not make a good job of it on Monday. So, uh, George, do you get nervous at the prospect of ex-City players coming back to haunt us? Could be two in this match, of course. Uh, sometimes. Um, I think... I think it's... it's After Palmer, you know, that it was a penalty and in the four all so as soon as the penalty was given I knew he was going to score it was just <laughs> yeah. so it, it wasn't one of those ones where oh we, you know he might have like, no, save him anyway yeah so. doesn't say it's 100% in so as soon as the penalty was given I'd made peace with that so at the Etihad it'll be slightly different it'll be interesting to see the reception um, they get from the start I think Palmer will probably be starting Sterling's not been starting uh, the last no. few so he could be on the bench but he it's got a mixed reception um the last uh, time you know he he's came back to city so i'm i'm not i'm not it's not something i'm thinking about going to the games oh god they're going to come back and haunt us i think they could e- palmer could easily pop up with the goal um if they get a penner he's scored a lot of them this season um but no i'm not too nervous for these two i think just due to the way chelsea have been playing so kind of up and down. I don't think, even though Palmer's got a lot of goals and assists, the team's not in such a great rhythm where I'm I'm, I'm fearful. But they could do. But I'm, it's not something I'm I'm going to be scared about going into the match. Mm. Ali, do you think Sterling has any regrets? That's really hard to know. Um, Talk to French again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! Please, please don't sing. You would think he probably does. Um, I have to say, first of all, I, I really don't care. It's on him, not on me. Um, and he made his decision, and he has to live with it. Uh, I, I can't believe he didn't watch the uh, the the run into the to our treble last season uh, with a big not in his stomach, you know, just watching mm. us lift the Champions League and the FA Cup and the and the league title. Um, every one of those must have hit him like a punch in the stomach. Uh, but uh, he probably also knows that had he stayed at City, he would have continued to be in the same situation, that he would not be getting first choice, uh, you know, guaranteed first choice pick every week. Um, he'd have spent a lot of time sitting on the sidelines and he would have continued to be frustrated. Um, 
it's slightly ironic that he's now not a first choice pick at Chelsea either, uh, which is you know one of the reasons that seemed a bit odd that if if you wanted to guarantee you were going to be playing you know ninety minutes every week, week in week out, then you know don't go to the club that's got the biggest squad and and the you know, most expensive players around because um, it was never likely to happen there either. You can say the same thing of Cole Palmer, but of course Cole did actually make it work and has now got himself his first name in the team sheet for them. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is what it is. I think we're probably now far enough on from uh, from Raz making his decision to leave that he's just another player to me now. You know, I, I'm aware of the history. Yeah. I've still got a bit of a soft spot for the guy. Um, I, you, you would never, you, you won't catch me booing him when he comes out. Um, and hopefully no one else will too. Uh, it, it, it just is what it is. And I, I'm happy to wish him well and hope he can find a little bit of, of, um, you know, contentment in his, in the last part of his career. I said to Dan, is that, Hadn't, hadn't dawned on me. I mean, it's how age works. You get old. He's twenty nine now. It just hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, being his thirties soon. Yeah, it's been around forever. So yeah. anyway, the only player I've ever booed is uh, obviously Gary Neville. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no. I mean, one thing I will say is what George said. Um, I, I am just working from the assumption that Cole Palmer is going to score tomorrow. And so we have to score at least two to win the game to, to cancel out that one. Um, I have just written that off already. <laughs> it's like, it's... I'll put a bet on it anytime goal scorer then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With my record, he'll probably get injured after two minutes. So. <laughs> I think with the Sterling thing, I think he the City part will be a will be one prong of kind of the regret but I think there's a second one of actually the club he chose is very different yeah. to the club that he currently plays for he closed mm. he chose to play for a kind of Tuchel uh, managed Chelsea team um, and Tuchel's a big part of the reason why he went and they had a good relationship and he thought the club was going to be very different and they've gone a completely different direction so I think that is will be just as much of a part of his regret as missing out on the treble. But then again, he is he is a big family man and he's down in London, so he's probably yeah, happy yeah. with his lifestyle. Maybe he just wishes that Arsenal or somebody had come in with the offer and he got in and he'd gone there and or something like that. But yeah, hopefully he won't. As Ali says, I've, I would never boo Sterling for all he's done for us. A, a few maybe bitter words in an interview from him is not going to do enough. Uh, to me to, to boo him so yeah I think he's done a lot for us so hopefully he'll get a, an alright reception when he comes back I do think nice. if if uh, if we're talking about his decision to go to Chelsea uh, he doesn't get a lot of sympathy in if he went to Chelsea thinking that he was you know there with the same manager for the next 10 years and yeah, that's a situation it, yeah. of st- <laughs> yeah, sustainability and, st- and stability and all of that because it was never going to happen mate <laughs> yeah yeah Thankfully, it's all been pretty stable since he's gone <laughs> Chelsea's. <laughs> right, final, final question. Ali, start with you. Conf- well, I was going to say, yeah, there was a question, how do you see the game playing out? But we've already covered that. We don't really know. But you're confident? What's your score prediction? I Yeah, like I say, I'm a bit more confident now of listening to George. Which I needed that. Um, I'll bring it, okay, and, and I've already said I'm... Uh, I, I've accepted that Cole is going to score at least one. I think maybe four or two. How about that? Wow. Yeah, I'll be happy with that. It's better than 2-0, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> Always, any day. <laughs> George, your prediction? Yes, um, I'm going to go with 3-1 and another Haaland brace as well as part of that. Oh, style. 
I was pretty negative with Dan. I've got a funny feeling it might be a 2-2. A but we were, I just can't Don't know. I mean, if City's record and the Chelsea that's turned up at Liverpool, you know, turns up, will absolutely destroy them. But you just, you can't tell yeah. this Chelsea side of just, yeah, it's pointless trying to work them out. So, yeah, an enigma wrapped in a riddle wrapped in something else <laughs> amortised long contracts or something right that is everything George I think we've covered everything in the world so thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us yeah cheers for having me enjoyed it guys yeah Ali thank you very much really enjoyed having you on absolute pleasure we'll come back and throw out Israel Palestine next time yeah <laughs> It'll probably be, well, yeah, it'll be shorter than this podcast, probably. <laughs> Just edging towards the 100 minute mark again. So. <laughs> uh, right, that is a wrap. We're all off to dream about United signing Harry Kane on an eight year contract. Make it happen. <laughs> and then we guarantee they'll never win anything again. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe, take care, and as always, up the blues.